Close Source is brought to you by the following sponsors. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Picnicwear, a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and dead stock textiles. Picnicwear strives for minimal waste, but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. And shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that is very anxious about the election. I said I wouldn't talk about it, but there it is. It's been on my mind as I've tried to put together this episode, and I swear it's slowly breaking my brain. So hopefully when you listen to this, you will think that I have pulled it together enough. <laughs> Maybe you'll listen to this after the election and everything will be fine. Maybe it won't be, and I just don't know, and the anticipation is killing me. One thing I do know is that no matter what happens, we have the power in us to make things better. I know. I know. The last four years have been exhausting. I mean, I cried the day after the 2016 election, and I knew things were going to be bad, but I could have never pictured any of the shit that has happened in the last four years. I can't believe the world that I live in right now, and, and I'm sure you're feeling the same way, but we can, we can do this. It's, it's easy to give up, to become complacent, to go out and buy yourself something to make yourself feel better, which side note, I would love to see some data connecting the Trump presidency and all of its horrors with an increased consumption of like cheer up items. And I will say that I definitely saw self-care as like a marketing story and a movement and just a term we throw out there all the time. I saw it become a bigger and bigger topic during the past four years, so there might be something there. Anyway, we can do this. I have to say this over and over again so I can believe it myself, so get ready for me to say it a lot. <laughs> I'm going to say it so many times that you will also start to believe it. <laughs> By the way, I'm your host, Amanda. Today is part three of my conversation with Selena Sanders. I know you're loving it. <laughs> Something kind of interesting that happens when I edit a podcast is that I get used to hearing the same person talk into my ear via my headphones for like days and days because it's, it's quite a process. So my brain starts to believe that I'm talking to them on a daily basis. And so when I finish an episode, I start to miss them. So by the time you hear this, I'll be starting to have that feeling about Selena. <laughs> Selena is going to talk about all the ways she makes her business more sustainable. It's super educational, and I think it's going to inspire you a lot, especially if you're a small business owner or you're aspiring to have one. And she's also going to talk about why she believes every brand, designer, and maker must give back to the community. And just in general, she's going to share her feelings about the future. I think you're going to really enjoy what she has to say. Before we get into that, I have to give a shout out to our new Patreon members. 
I wish I had like a gong or a triangle to bang on while I did this. Although I, wow, a gong would be really intense. Okay. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for a triangle <laughs> just to add a musical element here. So first off, we have Michelle of Black Sands, which is a Seattle-based curated vintage shop with a focus on sustainable fabrics and reworked and upcycled pieces. Thank you so much, Michelle. Next, Meredith Petro, who you might remember as our fit expert and tech designer from a few episodes ago. Listen, Meredith, this is just between you and me, but I hope you don't think becoming a patron means you don't have to do another episode of this show because you do. <laughs> but thank you for your support nonetheless. Also, Meredith has a very cute dog and she can really lift some heavy weights. So Meredith, not her dog. <laughs> thank you, Meredith. <laughs> Maggie O'Neill is another patron. She has the best Instagram stories around. Maybe we just have the same sense of humor, but thank you, Maggie, for providing the world with such fine content. Martina Padilla lives in Seoul, South Korea. She's living my dream. You know how you wish you could see a person on a regular basis because then you would totally be besties and you would do cool, fun stuff together all the time? That's how I feel about Martina. She shares my love of kawaii and novelty foods and She's just so cute. Thank you for your support, Martina. I feel really honored to have it. And lastly, Michelle of Jeans Vintage. I am intentionally not saying Michelle's last name because as you all know, I have a phobia of saying someone's name incorrectly. So Michelle, send me the correct pronunciation and I'll give you another shout out. Also, Michelle is a Pegasus sponsor, which means you'll be hearing a lot more about her business in the future. And BTW Michelle, please check your email because I emailed you about that. <laughs> Thank you for going balls to the walls for Clothes Horse. If you, yes, you want to support Clothes Horse and well, me, you can find out more details at patreon.com slash clothes horse podcast. What a shocking URL. <laughs> I'll also link that in the show notes and you can find the link on the official Clothes Horse website and Instagram too. Your support will help keep me going and you'll get access to some exclusive episodes, the weekly extra credit reading newsletter, and some rad swag like don't give money to asshole stickers and proud outfit repeater pins. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Okay, moving on. Do you remember on the last episode when Selena mentioned Diane von Furstenberg and how she's fought so hard to protect her intellectual property? Well, if I haven't mentioned this before, I read so many news stories every day, like hundreds. My brain is just this depository of information. And I've been trying for the past couple of months to just read a little bit less about the economy and coronavirus and read about some other things as well. And I read this really interesting article about Diane von Furstenberg a couple months ago. And so I wanted to tell you a little bit about that because it's not someone who I really think about on the regular. But when I read the story about her, it reminded me of recurring themes on this show. So get ready. First off, I did want to let you know, and this has nothing to do with the rest of the story, <laughs> except for that maybe generational wealth allows you to start a business and keep it going. But Diane von Furstenberg was once married to a German prince, so I guess she was a princess. And while they did divorce, she kept his last name. So that's where her signature name came from. 
I could do a whole episode about DVF because her history is kind of wild and she's had three iterations of her brand, including a lot of work with QVC, and she's even done a collab with Gap Kids of all places. I mean, there's a lot there. If you want to hear an episode just about her, holler at me and I will make it happen. But let's talk about the COVID era version of Diane von Furstenberg, because like a lot of us, she's had a rough year. By summer, her company had done the European equivalent of filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Just over 60% of the corporate retail staff in the United States, Britain, and France had been laid off, and she was making plans to close 18 of her 19 remaining directly operated U.S. stores. In an interview, she said, Corona hits someone a lot worse if they have a precondition. And she was referring to her business there. So what was going on? Why was Diane von Furstenberg, whose husband, by the way, is Barry Diller, the founder of the Fox Network, among many other things, why was she running out of money? She said, there's no shame in admitting you're in trouble. It kills me, but it kills everybody. Every designer is calling me. I want to tell people this happens to everybody. So she's admitting she's got some money problems. Well, how did it start? Well, let's go back to 2015 when she believes her problems began. And spoiler, I agree with her. And if you're a longtime listener, you're going to see where this went awry almost immediately. So let's get into it. So around that time, 2015, DVF was starting to think about her legacy. How could she ensure that her brand lived on and that she had something meaningful to pass on to her granddaughter, Talita von Furstenberg? The advice she received was to follow in the footsteps of other luxury brands like Gucci and Dior, and that was to open flagship stores on important shopping streets all over the world. So she did that, effectively doubling the number of stores she had in just two years. You getting a sense of dread here? Well, there's more. The leases on these were poorly negotiated, like super high rents, really unfavorable terms, and really long-term leases. Once again, I told you, you were going to start to see how this fell apart. These expensive stores can and have been the undoing of many brands. But that's not all. Next, there was a revolving door of designers. Five different head designers in 10 years. So the creative direction was just like all over the place. There seemed to be no clear definition around what the brand Diane von Furstenberg really meant. The brand had lost a certain level of cachet, and you know what? That affected sales. So here's another nail in the coffin, right? She was bleeding money, and she'll admit her husband, Barry Diller, was pouring his own money into the business to keep it afloat. It was not a good time. By 2018, she brought in a new CEO to help sort things. They were able to renegotiate leases to try to shift the focus to e-commerce because, by the way... E-commerce was only a tiny part of her business. And we're talking about in 2018. (laughs) So that's crazy too. Like, why isn't she selling stuff online? Why isn't that a big focus? It's kind of reminding me of some other brands we've talked about. So they made these changes, but the reality was the business was a mess. It was literally doing half the sales it had done in 2008, which you might recall is the beginning of the Great Recession. So that's like not the best year to use as your high point of the last 10 years. 
the brand had just never bounced back from the recession. Now, you can come into a company like this and make these changes and turn it around, but this kind of recovery can take years. But when COVID hits two years into it, well, it's not a good time. And so most of the staff was eventually furloughed without severance, I might add. More stores were closed. I mean, things were bad. So I don't know who's giving DVF her advice, but they gave her some good advice this time. Maybe not in the past so much. She made a new pivot to save the company. She struck a deal with a Chinese partner called ZBT Limited. They would operate all 38 franchise stores in China. Isn't that crazy? 38 stores in China alone. But they would also handle production, fabric sourcing and development, and they would manage the relationship with her longtime manufacturer in China. Basically, they were going to do all the heavy lifting. All the other stores outside the U.S. that are still open have become franchises, meaning they aren't the financial responsibility of DVF. Her now much smaller team is still creating the designs and holding the intellectual property for the brand, but another company is handling everything else. And she had to lay off the CEO because the company just couldn't afford it. Like, that's how bad it was. It's too early to say if all of this will work. It might, it might not. It's just hard to predict how Diane von Furstenberg fits into a post-COVID world. I'm not sure what her brand means to me. Well, maybe not much. It seems kind of old to me, but maybe it will come back around because fashion is cyclical. But I did think you might enjoy hearing about how the same kind of stuff that brought down Delia's also nearly destroyed Diane von Furstenberg. So we'll keep our eyes on this situation. Okay, let's get back into our conversation with Selena. So we just talked about like the 5,000 ways that a product is made from literally the knocking off of a fabric to um, basically the factories using prison labor, whatever labor that they can find all the way to like the crazy psychotic behavior of like the people that work in the United (laughs) States to basically get that to you. I just love all of the direct-to-consumer relationship now that's going on with the new way of buying because you are able to literally, either in stories or just in the feed, see the maker making the product, explaining to you how it's made, having a conversation with you, making it for you, and then basically sending it to you directly Mm. using, hopefully... For some of our makers out there, and I encourage all of the makers that are doing this right now, use sustainable packaging, please. Oh my God, please. It's it's literally 50 cents per package to add to your markup if you need to. And you're seriously, your consumer will appreciate that. Mm -hmm. There's so many options. There's all these like recycled cardboard. I personally use compostable mailers that that disintegrate because they're out of cornstarch. They disintegrate in like 80 to 120 days if you stick it in your compost or even the trash can. Yeah. So these are things that are available, um, biodegradable and disintegrating paper. You know, there's obviously certain things that I cannot like get past as far as like sustainability. Like I have a thermal printer, which I use to print my labels in. And Obviously, I wish that that was biodegradable. It's paper, but it has some plastic in it. And I wish that there was a new way. Mm -hmm. I know. 
The labels are hard. Yeah, I can't get past that. But even the care instructions that I give people, I actually use stationery from my husband's job <laughs> because they, you know, they they use stationery and they change logos all the time. So I just have him bring home like rims of it and I just basically use it to, I just cut around their logo, obviously. And then I just use it for that mm-hmm. sake. That's awesome. Because of the waste. And then... As far as like even my own patterns are concerned, as far as like how I make my product, I am very intentional about how I cut my pieces. So mm-hmm. uh, people always like ask me because I had a friend who was like, oh, well, why don't you do a curved armhole? Maybe it will fit better. And I'm like, well, curves actually make waste that end up in the trash can. Mm-hmm. If I do everything at a rectangular or square shape, I, I won't have to ever cut anything and throw anything out. And whatever I do cut, it's still a rectangle or a square. I can make masks out of them. Mm-hmm. And so, smart. so I always think about that. And even like, you know how it is in fabric, like salvage to salvage, you're supposed to cut like two inches off the salvage to make sure that it doesn't skew and it's not off the green line. Well, I, honestly, this may be sacrilegious to, to some of my professors at fashion school, <laughs> But I use the salvage because I take the extra time to like true my fabric. And what I mean by that is like you basically pull the fabric from one corner to the other and pull it and steam it so that it relaxes. Uh-huh. Um, and when you do that, you get a better grain line of the fabric. And then whatever is left off my salvage, that two inches, I use for ties. I basically make them as ties. I don't do bias cut ties. Even if they're prettier, I don't do them. Because I can just do a straight gain or a cross grain tie and just use it as a tie. So if you look at my trash can, and I'm very proud of this, usually you'll just get threads, a lot of threads, obviously. And if I have just like that extra off, like just because it couldn't fit a mask, I'll have a little bit. But I can go for like a month and not even fill my trash bag with wow excess. that's I amazing mean, obviously I'm proud of myself for even like really thinking about that but at the end of the day I am very intentional with the trash and the waste that I produce just because I've seen places like in the Philippines there's this place called Smoky Mountain and it's literally a mountain of trash and people live on top of these mountains oh. because they are just so poor and uh-huh. they basically dig out of the trash for a meal for the day and I think about just that. I, I read um, or listened to Business of Fashion, one of their talks, and the founder said something like a billion units of clothing is produced every month. Like something astronomical I it. like that. I believe it. Right? That's, we may have yeah. to obviously like after the pod, we may have to like double check that number, but it is astronomical like that. And in my mind fine, I am making new, quote unquote, maybe new fashion. But my goal is number one, always to make sure that when you get this piece of clothing from me, that you will treasure it like nothing you've treasured before, because it's made for you, it speaks to you. And Amanda, I am very proud because I have literally gotten testimonials from my customers. Like I had this one um, customer that sent me this really beautiful note and said, you know, Selena, my dad got diagnosed with cancer this week, and it had been such a dark week for my family and me. But 
your top coming to me was just like, I felt like was the perfect time. She was like, she put it on and she sent me a selfie of herself and, you know, sent it to me. And she's like, I feel so happy wearing this top. Like, I just feel like you brought some light into such a dark time of my life. And that's not just one testimony. I'm so sorry. I'm like tearing up a little bit, but no, I mean, she, there was another girl who basically her mom died um, this year and she was British and she always had memories of her, you know, um, you know, serving up tea, tea. And like, she had tea towels all the time. So she had, um, always after she had passed away, she wanted, she couldn't find like some of the tea towels. So she wanted to make sure that she found, she collected them like after she had passed. And then when she came across my feed, it just so happened, I upcycled tea towels. She and her mom had worked at these like airplanes like these spitfire airplanes like that was her job like during the war or something like that she had explained to me that she had worked on airplanes and she had sent me her her airplane tea towel and we made her a top and she just again just the message she sent me I cry sometimes when I get these messages because you have to understand I just gave you a background of my history and fashion for 15 mm-hmm. years And I have always felt defeated. I had always felt like insecure, broken down, exhausted to the point where I just like hated myself. I had no confidence in my ability as a designer anymore. I felt like I was not creative. I just felt like I just hit my lowest. And I finally get to do something that speaks. I no longer have to sit in a meeting and basically be like, well, this blue doesn't match this blue. Well, (laughs) Shit. Sorry. I design like I am literally like cooking a meal. It is the ingredients that I have in my possession at that time. I spend a lot of time salvaging things. So I had this question one time from um, uh, a follower and she said, do you feel really guilty cutting into these linens and these heirlooms? And I tell, I tell them all the time, I have to really assess before I cut a material. I'm not one of those people who are scissor happy. Like I, I collect, Mm -hmm. I'm a collector. I've always been a collector, borderline hoarder, actually, if you think about it, as far as like just heritage pieces, like anything that's been hand done and has some history to it, whether it's like from a long time ago or even new, as long as you can see that there was a, a human, like somebody actually took the time to do something or make this piece. If I, number one, if I feel like it has holes in it or it's been like stained where I feel like somebody's going to toss it out, donate it, or like it's going to end up in the landfill, I'm almost feeling like I'm, I need to rescue a piece. So I spend a lot of time mm-hmm. sitting embroidering over these pieces. People can look at it on my Instagram stories. I have a thing called In the Studio where I spend like sometimes hours just sitting there and like patching something or like hemming something or like, you know, embroidering or painting over something just so that I can revive it back. And I'll, I'll only do that for certain things that I know are very special, but I don't want tossed away. And then Mm -hmm. I also educate my customers about caring for their garments. The worst thing that you can do, regardless of what it is, is actually put your pieces in a, a crazy washing machine, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love washing machines. They're convenient for certain things like rags that you may be using or your comforters or like really big things. But if you have like special pieces you really love, even if it's vintage or not, if it's like 
100% cotton, even if it has a poly blend or whatever. Obviously, like fast fashion, they're made really poorly. So maybe give your garment some respect because your garment deserves respect. It's fine. You may have only paid $10 for it, but it's been touched by many, many people. And the environment is taking a beating because of the reason why it's even there in the first place. So give it some respect. Hand wash it. Don't agitate it too much. Use use a soap or use baking soda because that I feel like that is such a powerful cleaning ingredient. Maybe use some vinegar. Use natural soap. And we live, especially for people in Southern California or maybe even in the hot climate zones, the sun harnesses such immense powers. Mm-hmm. Hang your garment, for Christ's sakes. Like, totally. why are you using energy and sticking your stuff in a dryer? Ugh, the dryer is the worst for your clothes, too. Yeah. It's so bad. Um, I I actually like hand wash. I just did a drop last week and I hand wash all of my pieces. I care for them before I, I cut them up. And I was it was so hot due to climate change, obviously. We're already like middle of October and it was like 98 degrees yesterday. And I hung my my stuff out and they were dry in like 15 minutes and they smelled (laughs) so good. Yeah. You know, there's something about sun-dried clothes that smell so good. And just a little tip, sometimes people complain about sun-drying their things because it gets crispy, Mm -hmm. like super crispy, right? From being sun-dried. Pro tip, don't wait for it to get super crispy out there. Bring it in when it's a little damp. And when you do, it's softer and also it's easier to iron because you don't have to spritz Mm -hmm. steam or do any like, you know, wet wetness out there. So that's always what I tell people because that discourages them sometimes Mm -hmm. from like hand washing. I grew up hand washing my clothes and I am now teaching my son to do the same thing. It's an experience. It's also a way for you to disconnect from mm-hmm. your mobile phone and just put on some really cool music and like take the time to give your clothes like a spa day, whether you put them in a tub and just let them have their day. You don't have to agitate or do anything. You just soak them in there and then let the sun do the the magic that it's supposed to mm-hmm. do, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, I grew up hanging my clothes outside. We did not have a dryer for a very long time mm-hmm. and I felt like our clothes lasted forever. I mean, it was a different time, obviously, but... I'm a big fan of hanging stuff out to dry. It's like the best, the way your clothes smell is like you would never use downy ever again. Yes. Once you smell that, right? Isn't it magical? I just feel like I always compare it to food because for those of you who grow your own food, when you care for your food, your your plants, it rewards you with an abundance of harvest. And Mm -hmm. I I feel the same way. And some people call me maybe like the crazy lady, the hand-washing lady. But at the end of the day, I actually, there was, I had a a customer just repost her when I, you know, I sent her a top and she sent me a boomerang of her clothes hanging um, outside. And she was like, (laughs) hand-washing it for you, Selena. And and then I commented back and she was like, Selena, just so you know, I hate hand-washing. But she was like, (laughs) but for this top, it's worth it. And I responded yeah. and I said, girl, if you take care of her, she will reward you with a long life, you know, and it's very, very true. And think about it. My house was built in 1928 and the closet space. Oh, my God, is so tiny. And think mm-hmm. about that. I feel like women were so much more intentional 
with what they wore. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Right? I mean, I, I was even thinking when you were talking about, you know, like using what you have mm-hmm. to make your clothes. And I think a big turning point in fashion was when suddenly you didn't have to use what was available. You could create what you wanted it to be. Yes. So you could create your own prints, your own fabric runs, your own yarns, all of that stuff. And suddenly anything could exist all the time. And so it lost its value. Mm -hmm. Nothing was special anymore, I guess. And Oh my God. So true. So true. Right. And so like, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't how it always was. You would kind of like, and this is before our time, obviously, but as a buyer or a designer, it would be like, here's the fabric we have. What do you want to make of it? That's doesn't, that's not how you and I have had to work. It's been like, if you can dream it, someone will make it. Can you afford it? Maybe not, but it could be made, you know? I mean, absolutely. I actually still have friends that work in the companies that I used to work for. And one of them, again, keep talking to this big box retailer who's very popular, of one of the better retailers as far as like their image, I think. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And she still, she, my best friend works there. And, you know, I, I know firsthand from working there that designers unfortunately don't have a lot of power sometimes because there's so much bureaucracy that happens. And then by the time, you know, right. From like the merchants to all the way to like your VPs all the way to your CEOs or whatever. There's a lot of hoops to get through. And especially for such a big organization, it's like really hard sometimes to like re reconfigure um, the um, systems as to which people are operating on. But I basically said, you have the power though, as far as like educating those above you. And if you just keep hammering the same message over and over again, I honestly think one time somebody's going to listen. Um, case in point, uh, my girlfriend um, used to be like an apparel designer for Skechers. Mm-hmm. And um, she was only, I think, a design manager at that point. She wasn't director yet. So she didn't really have like the leverage maybe. But she just came one day and basically said, I am proposing a very size and um, racial inclusivity like campaign. And this was back in like maybe three, three years ago, three or four years ago. Wow. So that's like very ahead of its time. Yeah. yeah, it was very, and she was very nervous. I mean, she and I spent hours together sitting there fr- trying to figure out a way to make it look or sound like corporate speak <laughs> that way that her, yeah, right. Th- that way her boss can like... Uh, like accept it. And we also had to do a lot of research. Like, you know, she basically had to, um, figure out like, you know, the demographics, like who's buying sketchers, like what they are, like what their maiden income is, like, where do they live? Like she did a lot of research to just tell them that financially, this is a sound move to make. And they did it. Um, and that was like one thing that she's very proud of. And I'm proud of her for doing that. So I'm talking to my friend who still works at this big box retailer. And I told her, you guys have so much dead stock fabric right now because you guys order so much fabrics and you've accumulated so much. A lot of it just sits in a warehouse or they end up going to like the the third or second hand like fabric, like, you know, close out mm-hmm. like places. Why don't you guys just design a collection that's based off of dead stock? Yeah. Like that, even that alone will make a huge impact because then you don't have to like weave like millions of yards of new fabrics Mm -hmm. again. She's like, oh yeah, that would be a great idea. But I don't honestly think that it's discouraged, I guess, because it's, there's just too much 
like effort to do it. But is it really though? I mean, is it really? It's, it's not really. But when you're in these huge organizations like that, everything is mm-hmm. so complicated. It's like ridiculous. Having worked now for smaller startups and then really huge corporations, the thing that always strikes me is how inefficient the larger companies are, even though they have someone to do every tiny minute job. It's like change is impossible. (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it's like, it's like trying, you know, if you're on a bike, you can stop really fast and turn, but if you're on a huge like carnival cruise, you can't. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's such a good and, metaphor. And so oh yeah, so God. it's like they, even though they, because I know the retail you're talking about, they should, they could, I would say, change the entire industry by doing something like that. <gasps> Oh my God. They've already revolutionized. I feel like the way marketing is and just their stance oh. in general, they've such, they've done such an amazing job For of branding. Sure. And honestly, there are so many people who are cult followers of this mm-hmm. store and their stores that they, they have immense power. Immense. They immense. really and do. And their customer is more engaged in issues like this yes. than any of their competitors' customers are. Like, yep. like this yep. company is on a pedestal in comparison to all of their other competitors on the landscape, you know? So, like, they Absolutely. could totally change the way this industry works because they have in so many other ways. But it's like there'd be a lot of paperwork involved or something. You know what I mean? It's, like, so silly. It is really ridiculous because at the end of the day – you know, we really have to think about our new, our the next generation mm-hmm. to come. And I mean, I hate to say this even publicly, but I will say it. I've always wanted a big family. I've wanted lots. I, I've always dreamed to have many, many kids. And I just don't see myself bringing in another human being into this planet because if you are cynical about certain practices in the model modeling world, a lot of the times I become very cynical about, and I have been actually, it's part of the biggest portion of my stress and depression is I just feel like maybe we're too oh. late and we have not made why it's 2020 guys. I mean, back in the future, I think they, when they traveled in the future, wasn't it like 2005? I know. I know. <laughs> like we're beyond that now. We're like in, like we're in like the territory now of like Tron te- territory. You know what I'm saying? So I read a really interesting article today because like what you're saying is exactly, it literally keeps me awake at night. Like, is it too mm-hmm. late? You know, what is my daughter's middle age going to be like what is she ever going to have kids will she be able to like will she be thirsty and hot or in hurricane will she wear a mask all the time because she can't breathe right, anymore right. because right. of the air These are all things yeah. they worry about and i read an article that said that basically if the wealthiest people in the world could curb their consumption so meaning all the mm-hmm. stuff they buy all the excess yep. travel which we all know someone like that uh all of these, like a full month of birthdays and all the waste that comes along with it, all these crazy consumer tropes that have arisen in the past 20 Mm -hmm. years, if they could cut that back, no one else in the world would really need to make any changes to how they're living right now. And we could pull back. Yeah, we could really stop things. That's such an amazing and like mind-blowing 
piece of information. It is. It is. They said people who are making $38,000 are less, don't need to change anything about their consumption. Which is even insane. And I'm sorry to cut you off because those people in that bracket, that 38,000 and below household income are the ones that are going to be most affected by I the, know, right? I know. Isn't that infuriating? That's it's exactly so what I thought. infuriating. Whereas the people who make over a hundred thousand dollars who have a lot more disposable mm-hmm. income are consuming, 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 traveling, buying stuff, throwing things out, you know, eating out all the time, getting takeout, like just engaging mm-hmm. in all of these destructive habits that are socially acceptable and that I think like social media have really promoted. And if those people could, could curb their consumption and then the super rich really pull back, once again, no one's going to be living a life of misery to make these changes. It's small changes that have a huge effect. If that could happen, the industries would follow because they wouldn't exist in the same way. And we would see ourselves on a better course. There are just so many things, obviously, we can do as a humanity. And I think that this pandemic has sort of shed a light as to the kind of ability for us to unite for a better cause. This is like this pandemic, I felt like is a blessing because it's like a test run mm-hmm. as to how we behave as a as a united front, as a global community. And obviously, America has failed tremendously this test and I honestly and again I I honestly have no idea sometimes where we're headed and I'm just really happy actually that despite and I'm not being insensitive to a lot of people who have lost family members lost their homes lost have have had relationships severed because of what's happened as a result of this pandemic But one thing that I can say is it has really forced us all to have a pause. It's it's sort of surreal, like in March where we were all in lockdown and you literally, LA had the clearest weather that month Mm -hmm. with no movement. You could literally see the stars in the skies that one night. There's no traffic. People were indoors. People were forced to stay within their family units, play games, like, you know, bake, cook, make bread, you know, like there's all these things that happened. And on top of that, basically, with me, at least personally, I basically was like I was laid off from my job, a job I wanted to leave anyway, but didn't have the courage to. Same for me. Right. If this pandemic didn't happen, Amanda, do you think you would have this podcast? No, totally not. I'd still be working at my job that I secretly hated. Yes, me too. And in a sense, fine. I am I am very much humbled by the fact that I am given this opportunity and I can share it with the world. And I am very grateful that with my experiences and maybe from the genes that was imparted to me by my family, I am able to impart a gift. Um, but at the end of the day... For me, my my own clothing brand is no longer, I don't consider it technically a business anymore, although it provides me a living. It is <laughs> not the most important thing anymore. It's not a business. I personally, in my own way, and people may say, oh my God, Selena, you're so dramatic. I'm sorry, this is life and death I'm talking about. Um, I'm considering it more as a part of a movement. And- mm-hmm. 
I, I want to belong to the, to the movement that will hopefully spread a little bit of influence. And I'm trying my best to even reach across the aisle to figure out, cause the people that follow me are, they, they have one thing in common with me and they love vintage and love thrifting. Like mm-hmm. that is kind of the community that I've surrounded myself, but how can I reach across and, and have a conversation as if a Democrat reaches to a Republican on the other side, right? <laughs> like how, how am I able to convince the person who may be in like the middle of America or someone who is not in the coast? Like we are sometimes because we like to be in this sort of bubble sometimes. And we have to agree that this is true. Like a lot of us talk about our kombuchas and our organic farms and all this stuff, which is great. But at the same time, you have to be realistic. That is not the rest of the world or the country. No, I, I mean, I know. I mean, in fashion, we know that even when we talk about trends, and whatnot, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a different world. I mean, it's definitely something I think about a lot. Uh, I was just editing an episode that's coming out where I talk about being at the grocery store and the people behind me had just stacks and stacks and stacks of styrofoam plates oh among, among other God, things that yes. I, I, know, I know. And I was just like, how? Oh, or even like paper you know, towel. Like, I know. Oh my God. They also had tons of those packages of those like moist towelettes that people use in place of toilet paper, like, mm-hmm. which were all in plastic packaging. And I was just like, for all of the people like us who are trying so hard, you know, who are trying in every way to do the right thing, then we've got all these people buying styrofoam plates and how do we connect with them? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's something that I think about all the time. All the time. I mean, it is so true. And I think I may have somewhat discovered something. Okay. And that is at least, at least for my own, like what I'm doing. Um, and that is, again, going back to social media, which is crazy because it's basically a drug, right? Like I said, but <laughs> it is, but it also <laughs> can be a tool for good. It's, it's a mixed bag, right? It it's is all about a mixed how you bag. make it. Yeah. It yeah. really is a mixed bag, but. I find that a lot of people are very interested in seeing these videos of basically me taking like just random fabric and making something out of it. Right. And it's really interesting because there is a universal, there's part of our brain, whether or not you believe in organic or not, or wearing a mask or not, there is something connected in our brain where we like the instant gratification of seeing a video Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's like really fast, you know, um, from like the beginning to the end, there's something very satisfying about that. And I think that's why it's kind of disgusting that like people like Dr. Pimple Popper or whatever. Oh, I can't do that. I'm <laughs> like very, Well, that's not a very good example, I guess. But like <laughs> my husband, always, sorry, I'm, I, I apologize. But um, my husband subscribes to this guy. His name's Jimmy Darista. And he does these like very um, kind of time lapse videos of him making or building things like a like a doghouse today or tomorrow he's gonna build like a chest for his to- for his tools or, you know it's it's really interesting. Um, but I find that a lot of people resonate with the idea of making, but also they want to know who there's physical hands doing it, and then mm-hmm. if you embed the message. Because if you are watching it, but you are also being given the message of, hey, you guys care for the clothes that you have, or, hey, you don't have to like go to Joanne's and buy fabric. 
Why mm-hmm. do that? You can go to your thrift store and just buy. There's curtains you can upcycle if you need to to make yourself something. Although that's also something I have to kind of a tangent here. Um, I had a discussion with a friend about, well, what do you think, Selena, about maybe people who upcycle and then the upcycle that turns out actually being a downcycle <laughs> because Whoa. the skills are just not there and then it ends up getting right. tossed anyway. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that makes me very sad because yeah. um, you may have taken something that another person who may have a better a way of upcycling it um, and not being able to throw it away. That's all also another thing. But I also look at it this way. Well, I would actually much rather you already use the materials that are here. Agreed. 100%. We already have it. So We have so much. Right. So fine. I would much rather do that than you having to keep buying at Joann's, which, which pushes Joann's to keep having to work with mills that have to make new fabric again, like, mm-hmm. right. So mm-hmm. uh, the, and you've said this in your podcast many times, and you've also like talked about it on Instagram and your post, your, your dollar is powerful and it mm-hmm. really is the best way for us to basically move the movement forward. It is. I mean, you and I've both worked in the industry. That's what it comes down to. Like, I, I mean, I, I've said this before, but there's this belief out there that boycotting brands or shifting your spending away from them can hurt the workers that those brands employ. And so you shouldn't do that, but I'm, and that Mm -hmm. you should instead just bother them on Instagram. It doesn't work. No, I, I do not agree with that at all. No, because at the end of the day, there will still be jobs made from green energy and green industry. And if, uh, just like in any other industry, I mean, think about it. We used to have VCRs and like videotapes or whatever it is. We don't anymore, but there's still a thriving, you know, industry, at least in the entertainment world. And that may be one example, but like another example, obviously is just any, anything we consume, there will always be something new that happens. And I understand that millions of people rely on the fashion industry, but it is also at what cost? Exactly. Right? Are you, you're just endangering. I already talked about the chemicals being inhaled by that one, the many factories that work in these shoe, shoe factories and that alone, would you much rather that they be maybe put into like a safer place where a, a brand is actually making like maybe chemical free adhesive that these workers can work on or maybe we can there's other industries that sprout out of this like new fibers that actually disintegrate and are good for the planet like there is a way it's just we don't it's convenient right now it's easy Mm -hmm. money and no one wants to pay a little bit more because people are addicted to cheap it's true we all are we're all part of the problem and it is it's an addiction that you have to break it's it's not easy Mm -hmm. like I would get into a habit where I'd be bored at work and like or upset about something because I was always upset at work and be like well I guess I should look at Zara oh my god we've all been there you know, I haven't looked at Zara since I stopped working. I'm like, me too. This is amazing. <laughs> like, what a change in my life. I would have never felt like I could give up this Zara habit. And now I feel amazing. And I, you know, that brings me to something that you and I talked about, which is something I think about a lot too, is like, can a big business be big and successful and still be ethical and sustainable? Because I, I, you know, it's like we were talking about larger brands not changing their ways because it's hard to them, you know? Yeah. Um, I have actually, when you and I first brought the subject up, 
I, I've been, that's all I've been able to think about really. <laughs> Me too. I was like, what would that look like? Because ultimately that's what needs to happen. Either they need to go out of business, which I'm fine yeah. with, or they need to, to change their ways. Because the thing is like, yeah, a lot of retailers are closing right now, but we're all going to still be buying stuff our whole lives. We need stuff. That's just what humans are. So those people who work for those businesses will eventually work somewhere else doing something else. Who knows what it is? I mean, I'm in the same boat, right? right? But I mean, I am only just particularly talking about fashion, right? Um, right. The only, yeah, like specifically, yeah, specifically fashion. about fashion, the only other brand that I can think about right now, and I may not even really know 100% about this brand, but just based on the what I've read about this brand, Alabama Channon, right? It, so mm-hmm. for those of you who are not familiar, she's based in Alabama and she had worked in the industry for a very long time. Everything she makes is all from upcycled materials and already existing materials. She had apparently been quoted to saying she will never grow and become this big, like, you know, even as big as like an Eileen Fisher, not that big of a mm-hmm. company because it's just based on the model that she's set herself up to become number one she only she employs people local to her community right so whether she doesn't she doesn't source outside she she keeps it very integrated within the community it's very vertical in that sense they don't like buy fabric from overseas they basically only upcycle what they can source locally and she has basically been able to provide also a charitable cause to her brand. And with that, not just providing jobs for her local community, but she's also able to like raise money for causes she believes in. And then also she has an environmental factor in that because it's all upcycled yet. She has a team and it's a growing team. She admits to saying she lives comfortably. She's not going to be rich. She already basically says, based on the model that she's made as an ethical, a true ethical company, she cannot make more. Because if you if you try to aspire to make more and be a millionaire like some of these big brands that we know, this model would never be able to work. There's no way. Because in order to basically supply a huge demand you have to consume a lot of raw materials and goods. Some high-end brands, and you talked about this, are also fast fashion. It's just you're paying for the Mm -hmm. brand. You're not really paying for the actual, like, the merits of the garment sometimes, right? It's all about the marketing and the branding on top of that. But with with these pieces that she makes, I mean, again, very different from my aesthetic personally, but she's created a niche for herself and she has very loyal customers. There's these beautiful t-shirts that are cut, like cut from strips of Jersey. And they're all of these like beautiful, like base stitches that just run across the t-shirt to the point where it just looks like a piece of like an heirloom piece for a t-shirt, you know, and it's hours Mm -hmm. of work. Um, So that's one example. The only real way I think for the future is you have to look at the stakeholders within your company. Who sits in Mm -hmm. the board of your directors? Is it, do you have one that represents workers? Do you have one that represents the environment? Are, Are there any of them that are stakeholders within this company? Even why can't designers unionize? Why isn't there a way for not just like people who work um, in factories be able to also unionize, but also even some of the other people like pattern makers, 
again, this just seems like a whole new undertaking and a whole new rehashing of just this sort of status quo and, and establishment that we are known to operate under. And mm-hmm. to me, honestly, I can just say the answer I, more and more, the more I think about it, I don't think it, it's no. <laughs> I know I totally, I totally agree with you because I've been thinking about it since we talked about it too and playing through a lot of scenarios because if you want, to be a responsible company, right? You need to be thinking about your consumption Mm -hmm. all the time and you need to be thinking about your workers. Mm -hmm. And neither of those are very scalable because, I mean, not only like any huge consumption is problematic, but to grow your business, you're going to need to start bringing in more and more money. And that money is going to come from sources who do not want you to have a unionized staff, who do not want to pay a living wage. And I think there's this intrinsic human greed. The higher level you are in one of these bigger companies, the less you think about the humans who are involved. For sure. And I I just, I, I mean, I can't see any of the companies that exist in the world right now saying, all right, we're totally, we're t- starting Monday, we're rebooting. We nope. are. Yeah, nope. we're not going to make synthetic clothes anymore. We're not going to encourage you to buy f- five garments every month. We're not We're not going to pay people pennies and have them work under bad conditions. No, we're doing it all. Everyone's getting healthcare. We're sending everyone to college if they want, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. And so even as we try to like harass these brands via social media or email to change their ways. Like it's probably not going to happen. I, I, I mean, you know what? Those brands just need to go away and new, new people need to pop up, you know? Amen. That's how I feel. It's like they're dinosaurs. I completely agree with you. And like you said in your past episodes, about people just basically companies basically saying, well, we don't really care, you know, as long as we are making the money we need to make and we are basically giving the bonuses we need to give bonuses to for those that matter for to us, which is our stakeholders and the people on top, you could just be, you could troll us to death and we don't care. And I honestly, there's something to that because sometimes I think some companies are more sensitive to that and they will listen and they will do what they can. But really that just is like, it's almost like you're just taking like a small chunk of ice out of this gigantic glacier that, you know what I mean? Like, even if they say, for example, oh, we promise to pay up our our workers right now, for example, mm-hmm. that may just even be a... a saying, well, because I know this for a fact, a company had said that, but they only meant their own factories. They did not include their vendor partners, nor are their vendor partners committed to, to do the same with their own factories. So fine, you may silence one thing and then they can move on to something next. But really, what does that do? Or does it really change anything? It does not. No, it's, it's just PR. It really is just PR. And at the end of the day, places like, you know, your podcast, like all of the other makers, you know, that I know that are using their platforms to speak about this as well, they may be small steps, but I am a big believer of the collective. Mm-hmm. And the more of us that pop up, 
and the more of us that speak and the more this becomes quote unquote trend, because at the end, we do want it to be a trend to the point where you will no longer ignore us and you will no longer basically feel like you can hide behind good marketing Mm -hmm. because there will be people who will rat you out. Like they will expose you for who you really are. And hopefully the more we raise a new generation, like your daughter, my niece, my son, who is five years old now, I'm training the very best I can to like teach him about how to be a good human being. And corporations, unfortunately, I'm sorry, you guys, they may say, oh, you know, we 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 donated to like breast cancer awareness, yet you are literally selling in your store products that actually do promote breast cancer. I know, that literally cause <laughs> breast cancer. I know. And I think we live in this era of all these huge corporations, like in the fashion industry, like a lot of brands are owned by one big company. There aren't Mm -hmm. as many corporations out there running fashion because they have so many brands under their umbrella. Why do we have to have huge corporations? I mean, I was, I was (laughs) saying, I was telling my husband the other day, I was like, you know, remember when we were like, teenagers or in college and we were like punk or whatever, like it would be embarrassing to be rich. Like kids would hide their trust funds, right? They'd hide their trust funds and stuff. And I was like, I want to make a shirt that says, make it embarrassing to be rich again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, seriously though, based on the income and wealth inequality, the blatant difference. I mean, you've lived in Los Angeles, so oh. you know this for a fact. Dude, even in my job, I would see the wealth disparity in my office. Oh my God. Cause I would work with people whose, whose like parents were like Hollywood producers and stuff like that, you know, or like executives at Capitol records or something. And their lives were so oh. different from oh mine. Oh gosh. We, you and I talked about this, about like feeling like complete imposters when we're like around these people, just case in point, like my last job, my, obviously my VP makes a lot of money. The president of the company was there. They had booked us on a trip to go to London for a shopping trip. And they both stayed at this, the ham yard, you know, this amazing hotel. And then they ended up putting me in this like, I mean, it's fine. I'm like, I'm a cow girl, I guess, in a way. I've slept in floors before, like close to like a factory. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, so it's right, not a big yeah. deal to me. And then like, you know, kind of like flaunting designer bags and like all this stuff. And and sometimes, of course, I just like smile and like I I make sure that I look like decent and dressed enough to go to this like social club that you only need a key to get into, you know, the Soho house or whatever you Ugh. call it. And like- you know, I've been exposed to that. And I always felt like that's, again, why I kept consuming things and buying things because I had to put up a front, like, as oh, if, right, as totally, if I belonged, totally. as if I knew, like, they would say, like, oh, let's order this and this and that. And I always felt really embarrassed that I didn't know what it was, like the latest, like newest food trend or like the latest drink there, there's out there. I just... I just did not feel like myself, you know, and it's, I'm so glad I'm behind that. I don't have to prove myself to anybody. 
anymore. Um, I don't have to ever wake up feeling like, oh my God, what am I going to wear today? Uh, yeah, most of the time you'll just see me in the same pair of jeans. Like literally, (laughs) I don't barely shower. And unfortunately, like, well, unfortunately, fortunately, I just use filters in my Instagram story and put like fake lipstick on. (laughs) If I need to like have an announcement about my shop, like, you know, but that again, <laughs> the transition and the evolution of a human being, and you feel the same way. I know that you do about where you started and how you were and how you viewed the world to now how you view it today. But unfortunately, some people are not there yet. Like I have, I have friends and colleagues that have graduated the same time as me, who have gone through the same ranks as me, and like their career, and they're still like they still sometimes look at me like. I don't know what you're talking about. You're being too like, what's the word I've been told? Oh, radical. <laughs> oh, you'd have heard that so many times. I'm always, I'm always the like political one at every job. I care about things like that, you know? And, you know, when I was younger, I would feel embarrassed. I definitely would want people to know I'd grown up poor. I wanted to try so hard to fit in. And now I look back and I'm like, why do we raise kids to feel like having stuff and seeming like they have money and wearing certain brands and not caring? Like these are good qualities. Like I don't, that's not the world I want to live in. I want to care about things that are important and take action against that. And I'm, I mean, I've never owned a designer handbag and my hope is that I never will. Mm -hmm. And like, (laughs) why is being rich a goal? I mean, I know we're getting like really philosophical right now, but why couldn't just being comfortable be okay? I honestly think that it is obviously it just ingrained in this whole capitalist consumerism society. Totally, uh, You know, and I think I was such a big Bernie Sanders supporter, you know, um, and he really I I really do. Some of my activism, I credit from him and um, they, they always throw things like socialist and all this stuff. But at the end of the day. To me, it's just being a good human. Like you just have to be a good Mm -hmm. human. You just have to, that a designer bag can cost you like somebody's mortgage for like three months, you know? And honestly, don't you think you would feel a lot better if you just like maybe donated that money? Oh, (laughs) 100%, 100%. I mean, I think let's change that thinking. Like no one needs a multi-thousand dollar Mm. handbag anyway. Okay. Unless you're going to use that bag your whole life and it's the only one you're going to own. And fortunately, that's not what I see on social media. I see luxury functioning as fast fashion as well. Of course. Where you always just need, what's the it bag now? Like gross. I hate the phrase it bag, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't get it. Erase <laughs> it should it be called your... shit bag. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so I just, my hope, so hopefully someone's listening to this and is like, you're right. I'm not going to do that anymore make being rich embarrassing again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing is people obviously work very hard to succeed in life and try to have some sort of comfort. I, I completely, I respect that. I mean, I get it. I've been that way too. I worked in a job in a career for a decade and a half that made me feel bad because I was afraid of being poor again, you know? Yeah, I mean, I completely understand that we're, and we both have a very similar background in that sense where we feel like we need to work really hard to strive for a better status financially in our lives. But I I just go back to the example of 
when I finally like took the teaching job and I was making literally the same amount I was making when I first started in the industry, like 15 years ago. And I just was my happiest. Um, there is something freeing with the fact that you can prioritize now. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you have not that much, you end up having to be more strategic and thoughtful about like how you spend your money. And even with that comfort came so much more time to basically spend on things that I really loved and made me happy, like gardening or cooking or, you know, hanging out with my family. How can you put a price tag to you that? You can't. You can't. You you can't. So if you do want to spend the money that you have worked very very hard to have, don't spend it on a stupid bag. Because I know personally people who literally are in debt because of their buying oh, habits. Oh, for sure. Right. Just because they need to put a really cool Instagram photo today that will have all these likes. And it's like a dopamine mm -hmm. hit every time you mm -hmm. get a like for certain people. And I honestly think that if you just maybe save that money and maybe say, oh, let's go on a road trip, you know, or go camping here or go fishing or be in nature or, you know, spend that money and save it away. And maybe, you know, kind of, um, invest in something like that, actually like a company that you respect or, uh, support a small business that actually will make you a garment. So I'm plugging my <laughs> my own business here, but you know what I'm saying? Like spend it on something special. Yes, something special that like speaks directly to you. And the cool thing about that is that's when you start to develop a true sense of style. Totally, totally. When you do not look at what other people are wearing, when you have your own self expression, and you literally are accustomed to a particular look for yourself that it's timeless. People know you for, for that look. I mean, look at some of the biggest designers out there. My goodness. Like look at um, Alexander McQueen who only mainly wore like a white t-shirt and jeans all the time. Or, mm -hmm. you know, there's all these people who I felt like are actually smart and creative people, but they understand too that fine for us who live in this like world where we obsess about fashion and expressing ourselves with getting dressed and stuff. We, we love being in different looks, but there's a much more responsible way to achieve that without having to shit on literally the planet and nature that has given us so much. Totally. Like, I, I think about that because I feel like California is literally burning I, um, I came home during Labor Day weekend and my entire my backyard, all my plants were all burnt from the heat wave. We basically, um, we clocked in at about 108 degrees in Altadena, which is primarily around this time actually doesn't get that hot. Woodland Hills was 122 degrees. Oh my God. And That's terrifying. It is really scary because you have neighbors that are evacuating because they can't breathe the air. You have people evacuating because their their houses are literally on fire and nobody is talking about it. They're only just kind of talking about it as these like sort of like sensational like imagery, like, oh, fires, fires. But nobody really is talking about the root cause of why that's happening. Mm -hmm. Every industry I feel like is embedded in this sort of there's always like follow the money. Mm -hmm. And and this is very true to the fashion industry. Second most polluting industry in the world, only second to fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So this is this is 
insanity that it's glorified as this amazing, you know, aspirational thing when in reality it's, it's just the opposite, you know? Yeah. It's terrible. It's destructive, literally destroying our planet. (laughs) It is. But I mean, I don't obviously want to end on that note. I, I do, (laughs) I do want to say, Again, believe in yourself. Like to your point, I, I have that feeling when you look next to you and there's a cart full of styrofoam plates. I feel the same way. And sometimes I just want to give up. But you can't. You can't. You can't. That's why you have this podcast. That's right. You wouldn't be doing this podcast if it weren't for the hope that we can make a change, even if we do it in small steps. When I first sold my first top full-time on Instagram, I had no idea really that my brand was going to end up becoming something bigger than just an upcycling brand. Mm -hmm. Um, I I talked to you a little bit about a giving back component. Um, If you are thinking about a retailer who makes a 80%, 90% markup on a garment and then the vendor making another 25 and then who knows, the factory doesn't really make anything, you know, this is really sad. Makers like myself, we are actually, because a lot of us even, I mean, I may know more because I've been in the industry, but there are young makers out there who don't even really break even because they're literally giving their items for free Mm -hmm. because they just don't know how to break it down. And they're not paying themselves. They're not paying themselves, which is another, obviously, a discussion you've had before. And I really think for all the makers out there who are listening to this podcast, it's really important that you also, number one, take care of yourself. But at the end of, you know, like when you're doing your bookkeeping and your accounting, there is an obligation to pay it forward by being able to use that purchase and giving it to a cause that you believe in. There's nothing more empowering than that. Um, and so I, I have always said, you know, this is no longer a business, it's a movement. And we cannot deny the fact that we cannot just be on one lane anymore. If you're a fashion company, you have to basically address all the other lanes now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's mandatory now at this point, because we are living in astronomically like crazy times to the point where if we don't do right now and going forward, we are at the point of no return. It's true. We really, we really are not. And I am just very, I'm very hopeful because I know a lot of brands just like mine. We're very small makers. We are literally like not even an ant, like a little ant insect in this like gigantic, like part of, (laughs) you know what I mean? In comparison to like all the bigger brands out there that have massive reach. Right. But for me, my goal is just to spread the message. I'm not even here to like sell you my garment. (laughs) I'm mainly here to just let you know we exist and you have that option to live a more responsible way. That way you care for this planet that, you know, when it's gone, we're all dead, (laughs) you know, we have no other planet. And at the same time, just be more sensitive and actually like take your blinders off. Sophia Rowe, I think, um, I don't know if anybody has seen her IGTV. She did this like big conversation with her followers about the fact that you no longer you it's very insensitive to basically be talking only about one thing and not 
sit down and pause for a second and just listen. Mm-hmm. Look around you and not just just because you love fashion, that's all you think about. That's there's something wrong with you if that's all you <laughs> care about. No, I hope there's no one like that, right? There's no one. I, no, I I know people who are like that. Uh, who are just like one track mind, basically. Either you're just thinking about sports and only sports, or you're only thinking about like <laughs> what a simple life. Right. Like seriously, like or just like politics and just politics but not really just the theatrics and like the this you know and like the crazy reality tv of politics but not really step back you know to really look at the deep roots of what's happening so i always just say it's just dude it's just like not cool like you can't you cannot be a business and just think about your business anymore <laughs> no you can't no, totally, totally not. But I do feel like makers like you are sort of like seeding the internet by one, spreading these ideas of being more responsible, but two, you're creating other makers who are going to operate in the same way you do. I love that you said that because I see it. <laughs> I feel like that's how the industry changes, right? Because it's not just the customer's who need to change their behaviors. We need new people to make stuff too. You know, and we don't need big corporations. That wasn't how the industry always was. It used to be a lot more small, independent makers, tiny brands, tiny stores. We need to get back to that. I mean, go back to my mom in the exactly, 50s. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm in a way, I feel like I am sort of reliving that. All of my stuff is made to order. And there's a reason why it's made to order. Because I can show you materials. And if nobody buys it, I don't get to cut it up. And I can make it to something else. Or wait until someone else buys it. And then I cut it up and make it. And that's how it used to be a right. long time ago before our yes. time. But yes. And uh, honestly, it's it's really gratifying to know that there are women, um, and you know, Danny at Picnic and I talked about this. Um, she, she talked about future vintage, right? She really mm-hmm. she really talked about that, and it's great because. Um, we do these limited edition drops because we can only make so much, yet basically the anticipation of some of the people that admire our work. It's just amazing the support that we have really gotten. And I personally am just like, sometimes I get really nervous because I, I look at design differently than I used to. Like I, I just go with instinct. I don't even think about what color is trending right now. I don't care about what silhouette. I only do one silhouette right now anyway. So I don't even really worry about that. And I look at it and I'm like, dude, nobody's going to want this. Like I get so nervous because I'm like, why am I putting a tea towel with dogs on it? (laughs) You know, a picture of dogs and cats and then a sleeve that's like a quilted sleeve that has like 20 prints on it together. And I'm like putting it together and I'm like sitting there and I'm like, nobody's gonna want this like and I'm questioning myself but then I'm like dude I love it it speaks to me I think it's cool I think I would wear it and then I just put it out there and crazy enough there's always somebody who literally is thinking the same exact thing for sure for sure for sure you know and it's just it's one piece but at the end she will send me her bust measurements. A lot of the times it's a bunch of different women. We're all different sizes, shapes. 
And I will be like, man, yeah, tell me like your size, tell me how you, how long you want it. And then I send it to her in a month or so. And she would never be able to find that garment at a Zara or even as walking at Bergdorf's or whatever, and be able to say, I love that. Can you make it in my size? Like this was back in the 60s, 50s. This used Uh to be norm. And now it's like a luxury to have it. Oh yeah, totally. And I honestly feel like, and that's why some people actually tell me too, like they're like, Selena, your prices are way, they're cheap. They're like cheap compared to like the value that you may be getting compared to other people. And, and for me, I, I do make it intentional to the point where I will make a little money to the point where I can pay my bills, be able to pay way more than above average. The, what the LA garment district is paying, like the people that are helping me sew my pieces right now. Cause that's, that is just ridiculous. Some of the conditions that even some of the LA garment workers are going through. Oh yeah. And it's ridiculous. And I don't ever want anybody who's helping me sew my, my orders. I don't ever look at it as like paid work. I look at it as if like, you are doing me a favor by helping me Mm -hmm. do this. (laughs) I want to repay you with the best I can and fine. I, even if I end up taking a hit, I already know that I am lucky enough that my husband works a full-time job. I can pay my bills and still be able to be fine so that I have more money to either give to charity this month and then also pay a really good salary to the people that work for me. And it can work. I mean, you don't just, you can't, you don't have to be greedy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And you're able to not only give clothing or provide clothing to people who just feel like, oh my God, I cannot believe that I'm, they always say like, this is a piece of art. Like I see you make it and it fits me perfectly, you know, which I love to hear. Um, I'm very proud Mm -hmm. that people always give me that feedback that they love how it fits, like how my garment feels. Like they feel like they can dance and do the things they love. You know how sometimes when you get like a really expensive pair of shoes and you don't even like want to walk in those shoes because they're just like so expensive. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And no, like the, the girls that wear these tops, you see them dancing around and like actually feeling like it's accessible and it's, it's something that you could have only gotten from a luxury brand, but could now be more, um, you know, easy to attain, I guess. Right. Right. I mean, I love that. These, these things are special and the fact that they're not mass made is why they're so special. You know, that's how it should be. You know, I don't want to go out and f- see five other people wearing the same top as oh me. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's never happened to me, but I know it happens. Oh, my God. What about, like, a wedding? <laughs> that probably happens It's happened. Yeah, time. I've seen yeah. people with the same, like, for love of lemons dress. Oh, no doubt. That's got to be one of the most popular wearing to a wedding brands out yeah, there right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you and I have talked about this. I have a lot of rage and sadness and stress about this industry but i i i can't help but be hopeful i i need to be hopeful i have to not only be hopeful but try to contribute i i just felt like i had no power 
when I was still working in the industry, even after I got laid off and I was just like posting one or two things on it on Instagram just to see like maybe somebody will like it, you know, whatever. I just felt like, you know, I'm just going to do this as a hobby during quarantine. And then maybe when things open up, I'm going to find another job. You know, this was kind of like where I was mm-hmm. back in April when I lost my job. And I went through such a down part to the point where I was like crying every night. And I was just really scared because I've only done one thing my whole life and I had never done anything else. And it just seems so scary to like switch careers or like do something else. And, you know, now that I get to do this and actually feel like I could make it work as a form of living and then also make it be beyond just clothes I'm incredibly just grateful and I am also incredibly hopeful that if people just by word of mouth, like any good business or any good service, right? If by word of mouth, people just talk about it, hopefully it just like snowballs. If you're already exposed to something like, oh my God, I could do that as an option for buying clothes. And even if you just pause for a second to even think about it for a second, You know, I mean, I think that that is moving towards the right direction. I totally agree. I've really enjoyed talking to you today because I've been going through all the same emotions you've been going through for the past few months. And it makes me feel optimistic about the future, not like my own future for one, but everyone else's as well. So thank you. Yeah, I am really very thankful as well. (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe we've been recording for four hours. Oh my God. It's going to be know. like three episodes. It's going to be really, really good though. I think it's going to be really awesome. So do you feel like there's anything else you wanted to add? Yeah. I mean, I think the the biggest takeaway I have to say, and because I feel like I'm living proof is even if you're just one individual, you have so much power in you. And just believe in yourself. I think many forces out there will try to put you down, um, whether it's an experience that happened to you or whether any circumstances, whether you're in a financial like um, kind of part of your life where you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. Just believe that your actions are powerful and they can make an impact and you can inspire other people. Inspiration is contagious. And if you just give it back, you will receive as well. And that goes for not just in fashion, but in life in general. Just let's all just try to be good human beings. If you just really go back to your deepest core and believe that you can do good and put a smile on somebody else's face, you know that that person will pass it on. And yeah, I just, this pandemic has really made me think that there's a lot of bad things in the world, but there's also a lot of good things happening right now, including that this amazing podcast, (laughs) you know. Stop. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Selena. Uh, Like I said, I feel like we just went through therapy together. We surely did. (laughs) And for free. For free. Yes, yes. So thank you so much. This is definitely going to be like an epic series of episodes, but I think it's going to be really good for everyone to hear.
Wow. Thank you so much, Selena, for being such an incredible guest. Like what a high note to end our conversation on. Selena, I miss hearing your voice in my ears every day already. Thank you so much. Oh, and don't forget to check out Selena's work. If you haven't already, you're really missing out. You can find her at selenasanders.com. That's S-E-L-I-N-A and then Sanders, S-A-N-D-E-R-S.com. Don't worry, the link will be in the show notes and you can also find her on Instagram. One more thing I wanted to add is Selena talked about the fashion industry churning out 1 billion units of clothing each week. It's more like 3 billion. So it's even worse than Selena imagined. (laughs) 3 billion brand new clothes every week on average. That is bonkers. That's enough garments in one year for every person on the planet to buy 20 new articles of clothing, like brand new articles of clothing. But what you have to remember is not everybody on the planet can afford to buy all those clothes. So what happens is you have Americans buying almost 70 new garments per year. And on top of that, all the garments that get made every week, they don't get sold. Most of them get damaged out or they sell at a really heavy markdown. It's kind of disgusting to think about. And I just want to remind you that there's already tons of clothes in the world because we have a huge secondhand and vintage market all over the world. So we didn't necessarily need all those new clothes for us specifically to have new clothes. Does that make sense? Anyway, remember when I mentioned the article I read about the world's richest people having the biggest carbon footprint? Well, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about that because when I cite something I read, I always feel like I need to follow through for you guys. So here here goes. Oxfam, which is a British charity, and we've talked about them before. They do a lot of really great research into the environment, poverty, sustainability. I love them. They released a study that found that the richest 10% of people, so in the whole world, produce half of the planet's individual consumption-based fossil fuel emissions. So 10% of the people in the world producing 50% of the own personal fossil fuel emissions, while the poorest 50%, which is about 3.5 billion people, contribute only 10%. It's already like, oh, what an imbalance. It gets worse because those 3.5 billion people, the poorest people, are, quote, living overwhelmingly in countries most vulnerable to climate change, meaning that they are going to bear the brunt of climate change way more than the wealthier people who are creating all these carbon emissions in the first place. I bet you have a question about like how individual consumption plays into this. Well, according to the data used by the report, individual consumption as opposed to consumption by governments and international transport, it makes up 64% of worldwide climate emissions. So that's a lot. As in people in their own personal behavior are responsible for more than half of the carbon emissions each year. And I think that was surprising for me to read because I'd always been under the impression that while yes, we contributed, that it was industry and governments that were really doing the most carbon emissions, right? Turns out I was wrong. So what does that mean? I mean, it means the pressure is on us to make some changes. Yes, 
we need to demand huge changes from governments and companies too, but our behavior needs to change ASAP. Now that I see how much of it we're responsible for, I think that sense of responsibility is good and motivating for me. So I'm glad to have that knowledge now. Also, Oxfam stated that the world's richest 10% of people, don't worry, it's none of us, have carbon footprints that are 60 times, 60 times higher as the poorest 10%. That's pretty bad. And then we get to those terrible one percenters. The 1% could emit 30 times more than the poorest 50% and 170 times more than the poorest 10%. So basically, the more money you have, the larger your carbon footprint is, which is infuriating because as a person with more money, you have more access to building your lifestyle to be more sustainable. You know, you can get solar panels, you could have an electric car, you could have the most energy efficient home, you could buy expensive sustainable clothing and so on and so on. You could have enough land to grow your own food. I mean, I could go on and on, but basically the more money you have, the easier it would be for you to have a more sustainable lifestyle. And yet we're seeing that the humans with the most wealth have the least sustainable lifestyle. It's really something to think about. Basically, climate change and wealth disparity are inextricably linked. And we have to think about that as we think about our own habits. Like, sure, you and I, we may not be in the top 50, 10, or 1%, but we're probably not in the bottom 10% either. So we need to curb our consumption. That means we buy less, we make things last, we use less energy to do the laundry by using cold water and line drying. Thank you for the advice, Selena. We engage in carpooling and taking the bus. We turn down the heat a little bit and wear a sweater instead. I mean, it all adds up and we need to evaluate that. I'll leave you with one last thought from the report. Climate change is a crisis driven by the haves, which hits the have-nots the hardest. Thank you for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And maybe even subscribe, because then you'll never miss an episode, and you don't want to do that, right? And please, share with a friend. That's how we make this movement grow, by bringing more people into the fold. Into the fold sounds very culty. That's not what I meant, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Thanks to everyone who shares our content on Instagram, who tags us, who tells their friends to listen. Every time I hear from one of you or see a share on Instagram, it makes, it just makes my day and it motivates me to go back to my desk and do some more work. So thank you very much. Do you have some feedback, an episode idea? Do you want to be a guest on Clothes Horse? Do you have a hot question? Drop me a line at clotheshorsepodcast at gmail.com or you can just DM via Instagram. I'm very responsive there. And guess what? We now have a 100% super official Close Horse hotline. Okay, well, it's really just a voicemail box, but if you have a question or a story that's too complicated to write down or you just don't want to write it down, then this is the place to share it with me. And you know what? I might play it on the air if you'll allow me to. The phone number is 717-925-7417. Don't worry, it'll also be in the show notes. Give me a call. 
even if you just want to say hi or tell me something random, you know, it's hard to reach out and touch someone right now. So I'm trying to think of all the ways to connect us without seeing one another face to face. And I want you to stay at home as much as possible and keep yourself safe. But that doesn't mean we can't talk to each other. If you can't get enough of podcasts, and I literally listen to them all day, every day, you probably do too, and you're looking for some new ones, you should check out my other show, The Department. I co-host it with my friend Kim. We talk about trends, taste, our obsession, super weird stuff that we think is funny, (laughs) all kinds of things. Thanks, as always, to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye.